Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, Chad Brugman has part one of the new series for Lent titled, Less is More. His message is titled, Divine Downgrade. It's a beautiful day to be alive. I believe by the time we walk out of these doors, uh, the sun's going to be out. I just feel it. I feel it in my bones, and that's what I'm praying for. How many of you guys ready for some sunshine? Yeah, me too. So as you heard, we are starting a new series, week one of the series, and I love when I get to preach week ones of new series because I love to cast vision. It's just something I get excited about because what we're going to talk about for the next six weeks leading up to Easter, uh, I feel this so deeply, but I think we need to give it some context because uh, it's something that for a lot of you in here will be something, if you're like me, it'll be something that's kind of new to you. Because we're going to talk in this series called Less is More. We're going to talk about this this ancient practice that is almost 2,000 years old that we have now in modern times given the term Lent. How many of you are familiar, at least familiar with with Lent and what it is? How many of you, by show of hands, and and there's no shame either way, uh, how many of you practice Lent? Like it's something that's been a part of your life over the years. Keep your hands up. Much less hands, right? And the reason why is this typically isn't uh, an evangelical, uh, non-denominational type thing, right? It's usually for the Catholic Church or for Lutherans, Presbyterians, Methodists, uh, Episcopalians, some of what we call the more high churches. Um, we, uh, we don't practice that as often, but for the last several years, uh, Pastor Eric and myself and a bunch of other people, we started taking on this practice. It wasn't something I grew up with. And so as we talk about Lent, just know from the stage to you guys, like I'm a freshman here, okay? This is something I've only been practicing for a couple years. And the reason I I wanted to do it was because as I've gotten older, I've gotten so intrigued about all of the practices throughout the centuries and all over the globe that relate to honoring and coming into a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And so just to give you a quick backdrop uh, in week one of what Lent is, Lent was officially, it wasn't called this yet, but it was started in 325 AD. So literally almost a 2,000 year old practice in the body of Christ. Literally several billion people in the last 2,000 years have made this a practice this time of year. Uh, It was started at the Council of Nicaea. It would later be called Lent. Lent is an old English word that means lengthen. Nothing brilliant there, right? But we just entered this season where our days, and praise God for this because I love me some longer days, shorter nights, where the days, right, leading up to Easter. In fact, I think it's next week we have the time change, so a bunch of you will be at the 11, uh, not the 9. I know how that works. It just means to lengthen, And it means we're on our way to something better. And so for the next six weeks, we are going to, with holy anticipation, because another aspect of Lent is we are creating intentional and holy anticipation for the resurrection, the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, right? The pinnacle moment of our faith, the pinnacle moment in history was when that stone was rolled away and Jesus's body was not in there. But what we often forget and what we don't as much like to talk about is the period that led up to Easter because for Jesus and for many of his followers and disciples, that was not a period of excitement. It was a period where they were literally embracing what was about to happen, which was the death of our Savior. And so what we want to do for the next six weeks is we want to, with with holy sobriety, we want to think about and contemplate 
and walk alongside Jesus, not just in the resurrection. Trust me, we're going to take six weeks from Easter after that, and we're going to do nothing but celebrate the implications of the resurrection. That is the single most important part of our faith. It's the crux of our faith. But we cannot forget the cross of Jesus Christ. We can never forget the blood-stained, innocent, and divine blood. It's the reason we're breathing. It's the reason we're alive. It's the only reason that we have hope today. And so this is just my little best freshman account of what Lent is. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to talk about a word and you go for six weeks and it's like, yes, and we're asking you to come on a journey with us. You will not regret it, I promise. We're asking you to trust us because the chief word we're going to be using in the next six weeks is one that we humans notoriously hate. We run from it. We hide from it. We try to avoid it. We find ways to hopefully control it, although you can't control it. We're going to talk about this word. Ready for it? Death. (laughs) Wah, 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 right? Death. It's inevitable. It's impending, right? Death and taxes are are, are the truest things on planet Earth, right? We've heard that said. So we're going to talk about death. Jesus says this, and my first point about Lent is this. Lent is about death, and specifically in this series, a death to self. In John chapter 12, it says this. Now, among those who were sent up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, Sir... We wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them. He kind of gives them an obscure answer here. He doesn't really answer their question. But he's starting to tip them off to the inevitability of his death. He says this, truly, truly, or excuse me, I I got ahead of myself. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he says something really interesting in the Hebrew, in the Aramaic language. He says, truly, truly. A lot of your Bibles will say, verily, verily. But here's what Jesus is saying. If you hear nothing else I say in the next six weeks, please hear what I'm about to say. When he says truly, truly, he's saying there is nothing more fundamental and foundational to why I'm here, why I came, why I'm dying, why I'll be raised again, what the kingdom of God is like. He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, Forest City Church, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and what? There's that word, dies. It remains alone. I think back to Genesis, right? It is not good that man should be alone, and yet we're being foreshadowed here by Jesus that a part of community, a part of real life, a part of full life, life to the fullest, is what? You're going to embrace these different kind of seasons of death. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, here's the good news. It bears much fruit. That's something you and I were designed by God to do. Whoever loves his life, listen to this, this is the irony of the kingdom of God, will lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for an eternal life. Now, I brought up on stage with me uh, for a couple reasons. One, I might need carbs during this sermon because I like to walk and talk a lot. But number two, I brought up a seed with me. I would have brought some wheat seed up with me and some wheat, but uh, yeah, I didn't have any of that. So I'm not a farmer, sorry. Um, So I brought up uh, my favorite kind of seeds because you can eat them, and I love food. I'm a foodie, right? I told you I would talk about food in every sermon as long as I had a chance with you guys. So I brought up a sunflower seed. Because the principle is the same. Around this sunflower seed is an outer shell. And it's a beautiful thing because inside is this seed. Inside is what what they would call an embryo. And this is 
serves as a protecting agent. It serves as something that until this thing goes into the ground, it's going to keep it alive so that when it goes into the ground, do you know what the soil actually kills? It kills the outer shell. Doesn't kill the embryo because then nothing would grow, right? But at some point when seeds go into the ground, and you got to remember the kingdom of God works on what is called seed time and harvest time. This is a universal principle. So when this goes into the ground, the soil, the rain, the sun, all of it starts to do its divine work from God, and this shell starts to, it starts to dissipate. It starts to go away. So it can get to the seed, and the seed is where brilliance is. The seed is where beauty is. The seed is where purpose is. The seed is where, as Jesus said, harvest is. The stuff that you and I were, were designed for, not only corporately as the body of Christ, but every one of you in here, you were designed to be something so much grander than you can even think right now. We often play that low. We often make excuses because life is hard and difficult. But can I just remind you, you bear the image of God? Can I remind you it's to God's joy that you bear much fruit? We're going to read that in a few minutes in John chapter 15. It is God's pleasure that you bear a harvest in your life, whatever it is. We all do different things. We all have different occupations different situations, different upbringings, different families. But at the end of the day, God wants to do in you and through you exceedingly and abundantly far more than you can ask or think or imagine. And we love throwing those ideas and verses out at church, but we forget sometimes to remind ourselves as disciples of Jesus Christ that the pathway to fruitfulness and harvest, to walking in life and life to the fullness, Jesus is telling us multiple times, there's got to be a death in some areas, right? These areas that keep us from walking in the fullness of our purpose, these areas that keep us from being everything that we were meant to be. So Jesus says, not only am I going to literally die for the sins and the remissions of the world, but as disciples, I'm going to ask you to pick up your cross. That's death language. I'm going to ask you to follow after me. Jesus was so kind to warn us, hey, if you're really going to bear the fruit, and guys, come on, let's be honest. When you're walking in the fruitfulness that God has for you and your family and your life, there is no joy like it. There's just nothing like it. I've been on the bad side of that idea, and I've been on the beautiful side of that idea, and there is no comparison to when you find yourself in that holy sweet spot of God where you and your family are walking in harvest and fruitfulness in all areas of life. But Jesus says the pathway to that, though, is death because there is this nasty thing still around called sin. And it has been defeated forever on the cross, but it still tries to rear its ugly head. It still lives in us. The flesh is weak, right? But it says the spirit is willing. And so Jesus is trying to say, hey, there's going to be different seasons of life where the outer shells of your life that are trying to get in the way of the embryo, the, the dreams, the, the purposes that I've placed on the inside of you to come to fruition. So guess what? We're going to give it a funeral because, see, this is, is beautiful and, it, and, it's, and it's neat and it's nice. But you know what this is when it finally goes through death? This. Let's just compare them real quick. Y'all are quiet today. Which one you, Right. Like, come on, we all look at this and go, this is nice and this is neat, but, but, but doesn't compare to this. Like this was God's original intent for this, but in order for this to no longer be this, there was this thing, this vulnerable season where this got buried in the ground. Do you know some of God's greatest work in your life 
will feel like some of the hardest because it's vulnerable, because God is doing some of his best work when you can see none of this. Can I get an amen on that, please, if, you, if you've ever been there before? And here's the deal. So many people in life, and I don't want this for any one of us, and I'm preaching to myself included. You listen, Chad, right now to Chad, okay? I want this for you. So many people settle for this because as soon as something like this goes into the ground and you can't see a lot happening in the world and you can't see a lot happening on behalf of you or your family's life, you can't picture that God promises, no, I have this coming, but it has to die. Outer shells have to die. Things in our life have to go to a burial. He's saying less is going to turn into more. I promise you, if you will just trust the process. Jesus says in another gospel, Matthew 16, he says to his disciples, listen to this for city, whoever wants to be my disciple must, everyone say must. Do you hear this next word? It's like a four letter cuss word in, 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 in the English. Deny. Oh, what? Right? You must Deny yourself. That's a principle in the kingdom of God when Jesus says you must take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will what? Lose it. There's the irony of the kingdom. But whoever loses their life for me will ironically find it. In the kingdom of God, death is the beginning, not the end. You understand that? And this is what Lent season's about. This is what we're going to ask each other to do. And, and I'm going to say this right up top because I know how these ceremonies and these, these things can be sometimes. Is some of you, you're just going to choose for whatever reason to not participate. And can I just say grace to you? Because this isn't some legalistic thing. This isn't some systematic mandate that we're up here trying to give us all to practice for the next six weeks. Some of you are just going to say, I just don't want to. Or some of you are going to say, I'm not ready for that. Or some of you are going to have another reason that I don't uh, know about, nor is it my business. And I just want to say grace to you. But there's going to be a bunch of you who are going to be compelled today this week, next week, you're going to be compelled by the Spirit to say, you know what, there's, there's something symbolically, and again, it's not a symbolic thing, it's not a legalistic thing, it's not a systematic thing, it's, it's, about, it's about preparing our hearts for something better. But we're going to ask each other, what, what's something you can give up for the next six weeks? Where, where you're going to say, hey, less is more. I'm going to make some, some holy space. I'm going to make some holy space for what's coming up. I'm going, to, I'm going to put something in my life right now that is consuming a whole bunch of thought and time and energy, but getting me nowhere. Because you know what those things are? Those are outer shell things. Those are things God's trying to clear away so he can get to the embryo of who you really are. So we're going we're gonna, to, and I'll talk about this in a minute, but we're going to create some in Lent holy space. Some of you, uh, the best thing you could do for your soul, your spirit, your walk with God is turn your phones off. Turn off social media for six weeks. <gasps> what? But you get that hit. You get that, you know, every time someone hits like, there's, there's, there's hormones that start to go through your body that say, give me more, right? Like for some of you, it could be uh, maybe you uh, really, really, really need and like your glass of wine before bed. Maybe Jesus could say, hey, let's make some holy space. Let's, 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 let's take some water to bed for six weeks. Maybe for some of you, it's a food thing. That's what it started out. It, it wasn't even a 40 days in a row. It was a, it was a Wednesday and a Friday thing. 2,000 years ago, on Wednesday and Friday, they wouldn't eat for both of those days for a 40-day period. Just like Jesus in the 
wilderness. That's another reason they came up with 40 days 2,000 years ago for Lent was to mirror Jesus's 40 days where? In the desert. You want to talk about a, a death. You want to talk about a vulnerable season. Jesus goes to the desert for 40 days and abstains from food. But what was he doing there? He was letting stuff die to prepare him to go out and create the harvest of all harvests, right? There's been no harvest like it, nor will there ever be. And he spent 40 Right after baptism, 40 intentional days in obscurity and vulnerability, knowing what God was up to, to prepare his heart for something so beautiful. This was his desert experience, preparing him for this type of an experience. So we're talking for six weeks about death. I love what King Solomon says. He says this. I remember the first time I read this, my first thought was like, well, aren't you called the wisest guy in the Bible? Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Listen to what he says. He says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. To which I say, it's absolutely not. I've been to both. I've been to funerals. I've been to parties. In fact, the message says it's better to go to a funeral than to go to a party. And again, on the surface, you go, no, I've been to both. And that's just dumb. How did they call you the wisest man ever? But then I realized one day when I was reading the scriptures, and ironically, it was on the plane ride home from my grandfather's funeral. And I read that passage of scripture, and it made me mad because of all the grief. And it felt insensitive. I'm like, I loved my grandpa. I didn't want to bury my grandpa. And I went and we, we buried my grandpa. And on the way home, God spoke to my heart like he does when we crack open his word. And he showed me, he said, Chad, it doesn't say it's more fun to go to a funeral than a party. It says it's better. Why? Because when you go to a funeral, nothing recalibrates the heart. Nothing holds you more accountable to seeing the brevity of life right in front of you in the face of someone that you love and deeply cared about. Nothing gets you asking the hard but beautiful and important questions about what it really means to be alive than when you have to, unfortunately, bury someone in the ground. It starts to, like Moses said, it starts to teach you to number your days again. It starts you to re-up on the sacredness and the seriousness of life, right? So, 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 so let's do this. I just want to illustrate this. Look at your neighbor real fast and tell them your favorite food. Just real quick. Tell them your favorite food. Go. What we got? I've already heard steak. I feel that deeply. Favorite foods. Let's go. So, okay. So, all right, you're done. It was just one question. I'm just kidding. Like, let's go. Now, here we go. So I, I did this for the sake of today. I brought up some of my favorite foods, just a few of them on planet Earth. And I'm going to start with this one because I had some Friday night. Glory to God. To, to, to all the Latino and Mexican community, I would just love to thank you for about a thousand different things. But if there's something I could deeply, deeply thank you for right now, it's your food. Just want to say thank you to that. Like, who gives you a, you know, right? You go to a, you go to a, a Mexican restaurant and this is how brilliant they are, especially for a foodie. They give you dinner before dinner, right? You know, it's sometimes you, you just totally pick that restaurant because you know you're getting chips right away and you're hangry. So I just brought up on stage one of me and my wife's favorite pastimes. We just love to go to a Mexican restaurant and just get some good old-fashioned chips and guac. Any of you guys with me on that? I better not eat it because then I'm going to be spitting food all over the front row, but I want to eat this so bad. We got chips, we got guac, we got a few of the ingredients. For example, the staple ingredient in guacamole is what? It's avocado. You see this thing right here? Go ahead and put up that picture. This is a picture of an avocado before it died. <laughs> 
See, when it's on that branch, when it's attached to that branch, it is full of life. It is full of everything. See, these avocados are actually one of the healthiest fats you can eat on planet Earth. And, and all of the things that make this so healthy were, were, were being cultivated when it was attached to that vine right there. You see that? But then, let's be real here, for the joy set before our taste buds, this avocado endured death. It got clipped off that branch and started to lose its life so that we could smash it up and turn it into this holy thing called guacamole, right? Same with the tomatoes. Put that up there. At one point, these beautiful things were living organisms, right? They were hanging from that tree, and that tree had a root system. And by God's divine grace, it would get sunlight, and it would get water, and it would get all of the other things. And then we chopped it off. Why? For the joy set before our taste buds, this endured death, right? So that we could live to its fullest. We have guac because something else died first. You see the process? My son turned 10 last Sunday, and we celebrated, and I had one of my favorite foods on planet Earth. I love birthday cake. Just good old, I don't like, like, I don't want designer cake. I'm not spending more than, I want the left day old cake at the grocery store. I don't know why. To me, it just tastes, in fact, I'm going to get some of that right now. I can't help it. Oh, my goodness. So good. I'm going to have type 2 diabetes by the end of this message today. I'm kidding. We, we're a faith church. We call it Livabetes. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? We're a faith church. The staple, the staple ingredient that hold all the other ingredients together is this bad boy right here, right? Go ahead and put that picture up there. Little guy never got to live so we could have cake. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, 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 and put the, I said put the cutest picture up there possible so we sit under the weight of death. Something had to die for the joy set before our taste buds. Little chicky never even got to see the day of light, right? It's in our belly. Think about it. Sit under the weight of it. This is Lenten season. We're going to get sobered up here, right? You guys ready for this? It just keeps getting better. Just keeps getting better. Somebody talk to me right now. Come on, it doesn't get much better than that, y'all. Some of you are like vegetarians or vegans. And first of all, I just want to say I'm sorry. <laughs> and second of all, if you're like from Peter or something, I love animals too, but don't write me on this one because I'm eating me some steak until I go to my grave, all right? I just am. I just am. Put that picture up, though, because little boo-boo had to die, y'all. Again, look how cute. Cows, I, I live in Texas. I see cows every day. They're not that cute. But that, I said, put the, put the cutest one up there so we understand that that little guy had to die so that I could live. You know what I'm saying? Something always has to die for something to live. And I saved the absolute favorite food on planet Earth for me. You may not agree. It's a, it's a toxic thing, and it's not healthy for you. But this is my favorite thing on planet Earth, just good old-fashioned bacon. In fact, uh, comedian Jim Gaffigan says, we actually, this meat is so good, we use this meat to wrap it around other meats to make the other meats better. That's how good bacon is. But again, you guys know where this is going. Put the picture up. Yep. For you to eat that meat, which is from their butt, their, the meat on their butt, those little guys had to die. You understand that? Something in the kingdom of God on this side of eternity always has to die in order for something beautiful to come forth. And I was joking earlier when I said for the joy set before our taste buds, right? Something died. But we know in Hebrews 12, it literally says, fix your eyes on Jesus. 
the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the what? Joy set before him, future joy. In other words, Jesus is like, I'm going to come down to this crazy planet. I'm getting off my throne where there's no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. I'm, I'm going to step away from perpetual and eternal peace and effortless joy. I'm going to step away from that, and I'm going to step down onto planet Earth. Why? Because there's a joy that will never fully be recognized until I come and I make this sin thing right and I redeem it. And so he gives up. You see, this is what Lent's about. It's about an intentional giving up. Jesus gives up everything to bring us back into everything. And then he says, hey, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, not just a convert, I'm not talking about converts here. And some of you will disagree. I think his grace is so amazing that there's going to be a bunch of converts in heaven. But I also think there's going to be a bunch of people that miss out on the beauty of what it means to be a disciple, not a convert, because we were scared for that outer shell to go away. We were scared for that sometimes vulnerable and difficult, but beautiful and divine process of death. So yes, number one, Lent is about death, a death to self. Number two, though, is this. I said it earlier, I'll say it again. Lent is about making holy space. What a beautiful thing. Do we have any hoarders in the room? Don't, don't hold up your hands. This is a shame-free zone. In my house, uh, between my wife and I, there's a hoarder and there's a minimalist in our house. So there's been a lot of counseling, you know what I'm saying? And I'm not going to say who is who because I wouldn't want to throw my wife under the bus and let you know that she's the hoarder. Um, so I'm not going to say who it is. But she is, and I'm the minimalist. And so there's some, some issues, right? But, but this, this is Lent. Lent, and this is why we called it less is more. Lent is about intentionally, for the glory. Listen, don't just do it as an, again, legalistic religious act. We don't want that. But for the glory of Jesus and for the good of you, it's a season where we, we before we even walk out of these doors, go, God, what would most honor you if I cleared some space in my life right now, if I cleared some calendar space, if I cleared some material space, if I cleared some space in, in some things for 40 days as we are preparing our hearts for the resurrection and the celebration of it and more beautiful things to come, God, what could I do to create space? Because this is, again, the kingdom. This is what discipleship is. Listen to John 15. This is a, if you've been in church long, we all know this one. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. So he's the vine on the tree, but my father is the gardener, right? Nothing can happen no matter how beautiful everything else is without the gardener. Jesus says, I'm the vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off, we're the branches, by the way, in this parable. He cuts off every branch in me that what? Bears no fruit. You know what's happening there? Making holy space. But you ever see a plant right before it's pruned and then a plant after it's pruned. Here's the interesting thing. The plant right before it's pruned looks way more beautiful and attractive than the plant once it's pruned. You see the vulnerability in death? You see the, the vulnerability in, in creating space? You see the, 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 the vulnerability in cutting back? We are not by nature creatures that want to cut back. We are by nature creatures that want to keep adding more and more and more. But Jesus says, in my kingdom, if you really want to be healthy, and you really want ultimate growth, if you want to play the long game, then you have to trust me with these divine and sovereign and intentional seasons where I'm going to cut some things away in your life, or I'm going to compel you, like in this season of Lent, to cut some things back and then trust that although in those 40 days it's going to feel vulnerable because you're missing your, your phone or you're missing your thing or you're missing your food or whatever it is you may think you most need to, to make some space for, 
Jesus says, if you will just walk in that obedience, trust me, there is going to be something so much more beautiful on the other side of what felt like those 40 days of death. I promise you, there's something so beautiful when we create holy space for God to do what only God can do. It's about making holy space. And Lent, thirdly, is this. And you guys are going to learn so much more about what this is about. I'm just, I'm just starting in week one. Lent, and I think this is so important you understand this. Lent is about a divine downgrade. It's what I call Lent. It's just a, one big divine downgrade. I know we humans don't love downgrades, right? We love upgrades. I fly for a living. This is my, t- today when I leave here, I'll go to O'Hare and I'll get on my sixth, seventh plane this week. Seventh plane this week. I preached in Denver last week. I preached in South Carolina midweek. And I preached here this weekend. And I'm going to get on a plane and go see my beautiful family for the first time in a week. I'm going to fly over 100 planes this year before it's done and said, right? And, and that's sometimes difficult. But don't feel too bad for me because the more you fly on United Airlines, the more they give you this thing called status. Who doesn't love some good status, Right? So one of the perks is, is I get bumped up about almost every other flight. I get bumped up to first class. I've never paid for a first class ticket in my life, nor will I ever, right? That's to me just dumb unless you're rich, but I'm not rich. So I don't fly, but I keep getting bumped up to first class because they're so grateful for how much I fly with them. It's called status and I'm not going to lie. It feels good, but it's dangerous. It's intoxicating when you get in first class. It's hard to go back with those lowly peasants in coach after you've been in first class, right? You just like, you went from a nice guy and I'm in first class now and I'm just looking at those people walking back to the normal area with disdain and I'm like, hurry up, I'm making money up here, get out of here. <laughs> so, right, right, no. But, but a, a while back, we uh, had to wait on the plane for about 15 minutes longer than all, you know, we all wanted to get home and get where we were going. But the officer was real kind. He said, if you guys don't mind, there's a, a lady and we're waiting on her other flight to get here so that she can get on the plane and connect with us because she's been overseas on a tour and she wants to see her kids. And so instantly, right, we're America, so instantly everyone's like, take all the time you need, let's go, we're good. Get her on the plane. And I got bumped up to first class and when she came onto the plane, she looked embarrassed. She knew everyone was waiting on her looked like a little bit ashamed. She looked disheveled from sprinting through the huge airports right nowadays. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I rarely like what the Holy Spirit has to say right, on, right up top, <laughs> but it's, it's always right, right? And he said, hey, why don't you ask if you can give her your seat? You didn't even pay for that ticket. You know, who cared? Even if you paid for it. That, like that girl served our country. Like that girl deserves some first class. That girl hasn't seen her family. You think you miss your family for being gone two days. Think how much she misses her family. Why don't you give her a more restful trip and take whatever seat? Yes. Lest I sound so spiritual, I didn't want to do it. I'm just like, but it's first class and I'm used to it now. And they give you like free food and stuff and it's great. And there's leg space. And I guarantee she's going to have a middle seat. And these ham hocks can't handle the middle right here. Like you can't do it right. I'm having all these things, but it's just like, just do it. Like, it's the right thing to do. And so by God's grace, I, I did it. I, I gave up my upgrade. And do you know what I guarantee was true? That helped her trip out a little bit. I don't think anyone got off that plane with more joy than I had. And it was, it was a middle seat. 
I don't think anyone had more joy than I had getting off that plane. There was just this sense of, of listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know what it was when I went back to that sea? It's what I'm trying to say Lent is. It was a divine downgrade. Yeah, it was a downgrade. It was so divine, though. It was so beautiful. Did it cost me in the moment? Yeah, it cost me about two hours of having a tight space and fighting over the arm stuff, right? Like, so what? I'm fine now. Everything's okay. I lived. But the joy that it brought my heart to number one, just obey the Holy Spirit, but number two, man, if there was a lady that deserved that seat, it was her, right? This is, this is, this is what Lent is. I had a whole bunch of examples, but I want to be sensitive with time because this is a communion Sunday. This is the most important thing that we'll do this Sunday is remember the ultimate death, the death of Jesus. But I think of, I think of a guy like Moses. I love Moses. I love studying the book of Exodus. It's my favorite read in the Old Testament. And there's this point where the New Testament writer of Hebrews writes what we call, you know, and we'll, we'll do a series on it here sometime for sure because it's amazing, but it, we call it the Hall of Fame of Faith, right? Because in chapter 11 of Hebrews, it just says by faith, and then it names all these ancient Old Testament people that we preach from that just did these amazing things by faith. And when it gets to Moses, it says something that is real pertinent to Lent. It's, it's beautiful. I've lived off this thing for a lot of years. It says, by faith, Moses left the pleasures of the palace to go be mistreated with his people. Especially if you're newer to church or the story of Moses, Moses was adopted into a family from birth and he happened to be adopted, wouldn't this be nice, into the richest family on planet earth at the time. He was adopted into King Pharaoh's family and King Pharaoh's palace. So you gotta understand, for the first 40 years of Moses' life, he had every amenity possible on planet earth at his fingertips. He had the pleasures of the palace, the most important palace on planet earth at the time. There was nothing he wanted for. There was nothing he ever needed. You understand that? But then Moses saw that something deeply and profoundly unholy was happening to his people where he was adopted out of and came from. He was an Israelite adopted into Egypt, right? But he started to see outside of the palace, outside of all the pleasures, outside of all of the distractions, he started to see that he couldn't live with himself if he kept letting his, 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 his people that he was born from, his Jewish people, be enslaved like that. And so at one point, God doesn't force it on him. This is, this is why I say grace to you if you don't choose to participate in Lent. Genuinely, grace on you. It's okay. Maybe next year will be your year. But he willfully and intentionally chooses to leave all of the pleasures and the amenities of the palace to go and be mistreated with people. And we know for the next 40 years, I think there's that number again, 40, he goes into a desert. And instead of learning to be a prince, he learns to be a liberator. And, and nobody will ever remember Moses the prince. You ever hear, Mo, who cares about Moses the prince? No one talks about Moses the prince of Egypt. Who cares? They made one cartoon about it. It wasn't even that good. Who cares? You know what we, we talk about all over the world all the time? This is perhaps the greatest human liberator in the history of human slavery. That doesn't happen if he stays in the palace. That happens because by faith, Lent is a beautiful act of faith if you'll embrace it. By faith, 
He said, I'm going to put that, the, the amenities and I'm going to put my rights and I'm going to put all the things that I'm used to. I'm going to put it on hold and I am going to embrace a divine downgrade. I'm going to embrace a death, if you will, to everything I once had. And, and so he goes into this desert season and that's equivalent to a seed going into soil. For 40 years, he is in the soil. It's vulnerable. He's obscure. Nobody knows him anymore. He has no amenities. He has no pleasures anymore. He's just doing good old fashioned hard work. No groups are around cheering him on. He doesn't have people waiting on him hand and foot, right? He's like a seed who's gone to the ground to die. Little does he even fully understand when he left. He just did what was right in that time. But something so divine was happening because out of that decision to, to go for 40 years into the desert, he would spend his next 40 years looking way more like this. The liberator of liberators the one who by faith God would use to bring out his people out of bondage and oppression and slavery and onto the promised land. He's got a legacy now that is, is as big as anybody else's in the Bible uh, apart from Jesus. He's a five-star general in the kingdom of God. Thousands and thousands of years later, I'm still talking about him on stage. Like that, That's very few humans that will ever get talked about thousands and thousands and thousands of years later. Why? It's because he embraced this process of death. And this is what disciples do. And if we do it together, there's exponential faith and power when you're having a tough day where you're like, I really want to get back on social or I really want to eat that thing again or drink that thing again or whatever it is you're, you might choose to, to get out of your life. You're going to go, but I got a whole community of believers with me at Forest City that are doing the same thing. So we're going to stay strong together. And for six weeks, don't you love that Eric and the team decided for six weeks to prepare for Easter? Like the, the, the most important thing in our lives is that death has been conquered. The grave will no longer hold us down. We have this thing that the old school people called the blessed hope. That is who we are now. That is what we get to be, a divine downgrade. And so as we take communion, we're gonna remember Christ together. Did any of you, uh, when you came in, forget to get one of these or didn't get one of these and you want one? Would you raise your hand? Because we got an awesome group uh, that's just going to walk the aisles, and we're not going to we're not going to take this until every single one of you has been served, because this is sacred moment for us. This is how we're going to kick this Lenten season off. And by the way, some of you freaking out because you had big lunch plans today, and you're like, "Well, what about?" Here's the deal: in Lent, the practice has been that you take Sundays off. Not my rules. That's just how it always is because Sunday is always in the Jewish community. It's always a day of feasting. So, so, so don't freak out about today. Today's just a day of going, making some decisions for you, for your family, whatever you guys want to do. Tomorrow, we will start on this journey together for those of you who haven't started yet. Has everyone got one now? Is anybody still lacking? If so, you can keep your hand up. We'll get you. I think we got everyone. So Jesus, on the night before he would be betrayed, he was up in the, the room having what is famously now known as the Last Supper. And it says that on the night before Jesus would be betrayed, he stood up at dinner and he picked up a piece of bread. And you all have this wafer in here at the top part of this thing. Um, and we're going to partake of it together here in a minute. But he stood up and he took the bread and he symbolically broke it. And I don't think the disciples had any way of fully understanding what he was doing until after 
the death and the burial. But he broke that bread and he says, this is my broken body for you. Every time you do this, like we're about to do right now, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And, and here's what you need to know about God. He doesn't ever ask us to do something for him because he needs it. Can I free you up for a minute? Acts 17 says there is nothing under heaven that God needs from you and I. When he asks us to remember it, he's doing it because he knows what a powerful exercise it is for us. He's not some narcissistic God going, I want you to create a ceremony that constantly remembers me. This is just a good God going, humans are profoundly forgetful about the most important things in life and can't quit thinking about the least important things in life. It's part of this sinful experience, right? And he says, so we have to have these sobering, intentional moments where we remember that, that we serve a God who so loved the world that he let his body be shredded for you. Like, sit under the weight. He let crown of thorns mockingly be put on his head and those thorns cutting into his scalp. And he endured it. He, he let humans spit on him. The same spit he would use to heal blind eyes is the same human spit they would use to mock him. He said, it's okay. It's okay. I'm gonna forgive them. They, they mocked him. They jeered him then they beat him within an inch of his life and then eventually we know what would happen. He would go up on the cross and they would put nine inch nails through both of his feet and through each of his wrists but that's not even how he would end up dying. He would end up dying in Roman crucifixion because you wouldn't lose enough blood really to die when they would do that with the nails. The reason you die is because you no longer because of blood loss have the strength to pull yourself up on those nails to take another breath so you die by asphyxiation. You'd lose the very thing that God used to speak us into existence. You would lose breath. That's what we remember when, when we eat this bread. And, and, and the whole purpose Jesus wants us to remember it isn't to make us feel awful or horrible or bad. Although I don't think it's a horrible thing if we sit in the suffering with Jesus a little bit. But the ultimate reason is, is Jesus says, do you see the links? I will go for you. Because there is an epidemic in this room, because we are humans, of not really, really loving ourselves very well and believing a God, knowing all of the, the hypocrisy in us, knowing everything that's right and wrong with us. There's no way this kind of God could really love me. And if he loves me, okay, but there's no way he likes me. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. When my body was broken for you, you hold on relentlessly to the fact for a city of how loved you are right now. And it is not predicated on your behavior. It is not predicated on what kind of week you had this week. It is not predicated on if you do Lent or don't do Lent. It's predicated on the fact that you bear God's image and he is madly in love with you and went to the ends of the earth in the fullest of lengths to call you back in to him. And so when we eat this, we remember this, the punishment he endured. The punishment, Isaiah said, that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes now, there's healing. And I'm even believing in this service before we walk out of these doors as we remember Jesus, supernatural healing in people's minds are going to take place. Supernatural healing for some of you in here with mental health, serious mental health issues that you're struggling and fighting with are going to be healed. I'm believing physical bodies can and will be healed as we remember Jesus Christ. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his stripes we are now healed. 
Let's break together and let's eat together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So grateful. So grateful for Jesus. So grateful for Jesus. In the same way, after supper, he stood up and he took the glass of wine and he held it up and he said, gentlemen, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. Again, they wouldn't have fully understood the implications of that on that side of the cross, but now we've had a long time to understand it and think about it. And I'll even say this. Every morning, part of my prayer time, I thank God for the atonement, his death on the cross. And I thank him for everything about the atonement I fully understand, but I also do this. I thank him for all the aspects of the atonement that are still a mystery to me. There's no way we understand the fullness of what happened on that cross. And listen to me, that's okay. That's just how big of a God we serve. So even in the mystery of everything the cross meant, we just celebrate and we rest. It's a new covenant. And the new covenant is, is so much better, the writer of Hebrews said, than the old covenant. Because the old covenant had to be fulfilled through uh, law abiding. And we know how we humans do with that. But this new covenant was the sinless Passover lamb with no flaw, who perfectly obeyed the law, did it once and for all in all of our place for us to bring us home. He just wants to be with you. This is the new covenant. You are now called son. You are called daughter. You are adopted with full rights of a co-heir of Christ. This is who you are. You are called holy. You are called blameless. Regardless of how you feel walking into church today, this is who you are, not because of you, because of the blood of Jesus, right? What can I think of the old song? What can wash away my blood, not, my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is the new covenant in his blood. So if you guys would very carefully uh, open that, and we are going to drink and thank Jesus together. Thank you, Jesus. Let's drink. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I don't want to end this moment too fast. So can we just do this? Can, can you just, for a moment while Gabe keeps playing, thank you, Gabe. Would you just close your eyes and try and be as present as possible? Just be as present in this moment as possible. And would you just look on Jesus, however you picture him, picture him on his throne right now in all of his glory, however you picture him, use your own holy imagination. But I just want you to picture you and him looking eye to eye while he's sitting enthroned and tell him what you want to tell him right now. Just in your heart of hearts, just tell him Speak from your heart, out of the abundance of your heart. Thank you, Jesus. He's got to love this, guys. He's got to, think of it, he's got to love this. His children, 
quietly and intentionally looking into his eyes and sharing your heart, all of us together. This has got to be such a beautiful moment. Jesus, he's got to be pleased with you. He's pleased with you. Would you guys walk out of these doors knowing how loved you are, knowing how cherished you are? And I just pray that as you guys consider participating with us as a church in this Lenten season for 40 days, we're going to do this together to prepare ourselves for another six weeks of partying on the back end, talking about the resurrection. But for now, we talk death. A couple of things, and there's I'm sitting up here in my mind while I'm talking to you guys. I'm also thinking ahead of things, and I'm going, there's no upbeat way to end this. And Can we all just be adults and we walk out of here? Especially since it's kind of more of a funeral than a party today, because it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Can we walk out of here with just maybe some, just some holy calm? couple things that are really important is some of you though you really need prayer before you walk out of here and we're going to have a whole team of faithful servants down here that would love nothing more they will stay till the last person needs it would love nothing more than to pray with you the second thing is this and you heard him talk about in uh the announcement block but we're going to have uh tell me the name again i can't hear Discover, I'm sorry, I'm still learning the terms. We're going to have a Discover meeting uh, after the 11 o'clock service. So if you really want to be a part, we would love for you to be a part of that. Plus it's free food. Who doesn't want free food, right? Um, We would love for you to come back after that. But if not, you will not want to miss week two. It's going to be powerful. I promise you that. So may you go in the grace and in the peace of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Chad Brugman with part one of the series titled, Less is More. Thanks for listening.